Well, let's just take a minute, and we're going to do today what we have done in other places. Will you take a minute? Let's welcome First Norfolk on Kempsville to join as they join us for worship here. First Norfolk on Volvo. What a great crew. Uh, what fun uh, as we gather together uh, this morning, and we set our focus on the way forward. Now, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 32, 33, and 34. Uh, and while you're turning there, let me kind of open it up with a couple of things. Uh, as I have conversations with people, especially when you have tragedies that, that strike like uh, a hurricane, Florence didn't really hit us all that much at all, uh, but it has hit other places. And as we, uh, as we see uh, these uh, tragic events happen in the lives of individuals or as we talk with people, uh, our neighbors, uh, uh, those that we work with, uh, the folks down the street or uh, on ship with us, as we're doing all of these things, we encounter conversations about God. Uh, and as we talk to people about God, one of the things I've discovered is that there are a lot of different ideas about who God is. I mean, a ton of different ideas. Uh, for some, God is this, um, this uh, force like gravity. He's, he's the... He's the God that uh, is uh, uh, the, uh, the, the force uh, like in Star Wars, the good side, not the bad side, you know, the, 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 not, the, not the dark side. But, but God is kind of like this, this force, impersonal, you don't know him, he's just a big power. Um, and, and then for some, God view God, uh, some view God as um, not a force, but uh, just someone who creates it and lets it go. Um, and he's more personal here, but, but he's created things, he's created the universe, but, and he winds it up, and then he just says, boom. And, he, and that's all he has to do with us, is just he's wound us up, and he says, let's go, and that's all there is. And so God has no interaction in, in life with us. Some see God as the angry neighbor. You all know the angry neighbor? Uh, I know none of you are the angry neighbor, uh, but have you ever had an angry neighbor? I don't have an angry neighbor, but, but an angry neighbor is that person that uh, it seems like they're standing uh, at, at, at their window or at their door 24-7, and they're looking out at their yard, their masterpiece, their domain, and if anybody infringes upon their property, they're ready to pounce. I had a neighbor, uh, Mr. Lindenberger, when I was uh, in elementary school. Mr. Lindenberger was a next-door neighbor, and any time uh, we threw a football and it landed on their yard, we were scared to go get it because we knew Mr. Lindenberger would be yelling at us, I mean, hollering at us, you know? Um, and, and some view God like that. Some view God as that angry neighbor waiting to pounce whenever we do something wrong. If we do something wrong, God is ready with the hammer to <clears throat> just let us have it. Um, then some view God as um, uh, kind of an absent-minded, uh, kindly grandfather. And this is the view of God where, where the, the grandfather, and just in their view of God, but the grandfather exists only for our pleasure. And, and we, uh, we go to him for, uh, you know, uh, money on the weekends, or we go to him for a place to stay when it's uh, uh, difficult or an escape from home, 
uh, he's a kindly grandfather. And, and he looks at us and he doesn't really care what we do because whatever we do is good. You know, you, you've had grandparents like that maybe. And, and, and no matter what we do, oh, that little Eric, he is just the best of the best. And, you know, mom and dad say, well, you just don't know little Eric too much. But, but the kindly grandfather, you know, little Eric, he's just, he's all right. And, and even if I do something wrong, oh, you know, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. You know, that whole concept of, um, you know, you can never do anything wrong, and if you do anything wrong, it's no big deal. Uh, as, we, as we talk to people, we hear that their view of God, and, and really, they're just made up ideas about God. God is clear about who he is. And, and, and for us to understand truly who we are, we need to understand fully who God is. We've got to get a clear picture of God in order to understand how to move forward the way forward in our life. Through the ups and the downs, the difficulties, the barriers, the strongholds, the sin, the failures, in all of our journey in life, if we're going to make a way forward, we need to understand who God is. And perhaps one of the greatest passages describing who God is is Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, kind of give you the backdrop here, okay? So um, in, in Exodus 24, um, uh, Moses goes up to the mountain and goes up on Mount Sinai, and for 40 days and 40 nights, the children of Israel don't see Moses. He's gone. And, and they're scared. You know, they're, they're nervous. Now, they have just received, 40 days earlier, they had just received uh, the Ten Commandments. God had given them his laws. And, and one of those laws was, you shall have no other gods before me, right? And that's one of the laws, as th this is the heart of God. I don't want you to have any other gods before me. So, so uh, Moses is gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Children of Israel, they're scared because Moses is gone for that long. They're afraid he's left them or, or he's dead. And, and so they... They, they get to Aaron, this is Exodus 32, 1 through 6, and they get to Aaron, they say, Aaron, we need a golden bull. We need an idol. Uh, we, we are missing uh, Moses, and we need a substitute. We need, we need something to look at. We need something to worship. And so Aaron caves in, and he's scared of the people, and he creates this golden bull. And then God, oh, he, he gets upset. He, he says in Exodus 32, he says, he says, my wrath is burning. And God, God hates sin. Y'all get that, right? I mean, God hates sin. Not just Israel's sin. Not just a golden bull kind of sin. God hates your sin and mine. No matter how small we may think our sin might be, God hates that sin because it's a it, 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 it's totally against his character. And, and so God hates sin. So he's upset. And then Moses, Exodus 32, 33, uh, is this conversation where, where God then turns uh, from um, the sin of the people to the grace and the love that he holds. So here's Exodus 34, a statement of who God is. Now this, if you get nothing else today, this is what you need to get. This is who God is, okay? Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Then God, the Lord, said, uh, 
the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the children uh, of the fathers on the children and the children's children uh, to the third and fourth generation. All right, so, so as we look at this, I, 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 in fact, right on the margin, you might put down Psalm 103. And, and I, I want you to turn, if you, if you can, if, 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 if you can't, that's okay, but turn to Psalm 103. And Psalm 103, we have another uh, uh, version of what God said in Exodus 34. So, and in Psalm 103, it's, it's a repetition of what God said in, in Exodus 34. Um, but there's some intro to it. And I, I want us to just kind of take note of the intro. So Psalm 103 is, is a statement to you and to me today. And it's, it's really the message being lived out in our lives. This is the way forward. All right. So Psalm 103, beginning verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, and who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with the good stuff, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. Now here's a reference to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his activity to the children of Israel. Verse 8 and 9. All right, listen. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, and underline it because this is so important. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That's who God is. God hates sin. God hates your sin, and he hates my sin. But the good news for us, the good news that is resident in Exodus 32 through 34, Psalm 103, and throughout the New Testament, the good news for us is that, as James chapter 2, verse 13 says, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. Get this in your heart. This is the God who loves now, I'm not saying he's soft on sin because he's not. And I'm not saying that he ignores sin because he doesn't. But I'm telling you, his love awakens a grace that triumphs over the judgment that our sin demands. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. So as we look at this passage, I want us to see the way forward for us. As, as we see who God is, then we can see who we are in relation to him. And this is the way forward. It is paved by God's grace. God's grace paves the way forward for us. In the midst 
of our high and low, in the midst of our good and bad, in the midst of our victories and defeats, in the midst of our obedience to God and our rebellion against God, everything, and I mean everything, depends upon God's grace. That's the way forward. So often, we think the way forward for us is to get the right formula for life and work it out. If I could just get my to-do list and the right kind of to-do list, if I just put the big rocks in first and then fill it all up with all the other lesser stuff, then I'll be okay. That's the way forward. The way forward, it's, it's having the, the right relationship or a different relationship or a better relationship. That's the way forward. Or, or the way forward, if I, could, if I could just get a better way of thinking, if I could just, you know, follow the memes advice. You know memes, I mean, uh, uh, you can. No, you can't. The way forward is not us getting better at being better. The way forward for us every single day is God's grace. It's God's grace. And what is grace? In, in, in Exodus 33, verse 13 and 14, um, Moses says, Now, uh, God, you've said you know me by name, and you've said I have found favor or grace in your sight. Verse 14 and 15, he says, he says If I've found favor in your sight, show me your way that that I might know you and find favor or grace in your sight. So there's this whole wrapping around of grace that Moses is keying in on. He's saying, if we're going to move forward, Israel has blown it bad. And if we're going to move forward, then I need grace. What is this grace that, that Moses was talking about, that God was talking about? It's the same grace that we looked at in Genesis chapter 6, where it says that Noah found favor or grace in the sight of the Lord, uh, uh, Genesis 6, 9. This, this picture of grace, this, this, this um, grace that God offers us is not us doing good stuff and God rewarding us. That's not grace. Grace is even if we don't do good stuff, God stoops toward us in an act of kindness and mercy, in an act of love, and he blesses us. Grace... That's the picture of Exodus 32 through 34. Grace, that's the testimony of, of the gospel. That's the good news that has brought us life. Grace, that is the picture of Jesus himself. Jesus, who left heaven's throne, was born in a manger in a stable. God became man. God stooped toward us. Not because we deserved it. I mean, he did that for us even while we were sinners. It's God stooping toward us to bless us. This is who Jesus is. That, that Jesus, who was, was uh, equal to God, to God, did not consider equality something to be held on to, but he gave it all up and he, and, and he let the throne room of heaven. He came in the likeness as a man. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus came... He is God. He's become man so that he might give us the very things that we don't deserve. Forgiveness, love, life, strength, the presence of God, intimacy with him. This is God's grace. 
This is the story of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and by the way, that's, that's where I'm, 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 I'm talking today. I'm not talking to people who are not yet followers of Christ. I, I, I want us who are followers of Christ to understand the way forward. See, there, there's going to be for you and me, and if we're honest, there is right now, that struggles with sin, like the children of Israel in Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is a picture of the people of God rebelling against God, embracing substitutes instead of God. And that's, that's what we do. Every time we sin, we're embracing a substitute. And they, they want some tangible expression to give them comfort in their anxiety. That's not the way forward. But that sin that they've embraced becomes a stronghold in their life that blocks their way forward. Sin is a dead end every single time. Sin strangles our hope as followers of Jesus, destroys us from the inside out. Sin is a dead end. That's one of the reasons why God hates sin. Not only because it, it, it is an offense to his holiness and his majesty and his love, but he hates sin because of what it does to his people. I have four daughters. I love each one. And, and, and if, if I tell them, as, especially when they were younger, I, I'd say, I want you to do A, B, and C, and, and, or I don't want you to do A, B, or C. Uh, let's do it that way. I don't want you to do A, B, or C. And if they came up and they did A, B, or C, um, not, of course, this is mythical. None of my children would ever do that. But if I gave them A, B, and C, and they decided not to do A, B, and C, or vice versa, um, I would be upset. I would be upset because they disobeyed me. But you know, really, I'm more upset because that A, B, and C that I didn't want them to do, it wasn't just me being capricious. It wasn't me just being uh, willy-nilly and being a despot or a dictator trying to, trying to you know, be mean to them. I gave them those rules to protect them. And, and if they violate those rules, I'm afraid that they might get hurt. You see, it's both and. I don't like it when they disobeyed me, but as well, I, I have a heart for them. God has that same view toward us. Do you realize that when he has given us these commands, the way of life, he says, I want you to live life this way. It, and, and when we rebel against it, it's not merely that we've offended his holiness. We have, and, and he hurts because of that. But, but just as much he hurts because our rebellion has led us to a dead end. You're strangling in life. You're, you're, you're hopeless and in despair as a follower of Jesus. You need to evaluate, is it because you're stuck at the dead end of sin? What's the way forward? The way forward is God's grace. The way forward is not you making amends. And even though that's good and important, we find that in other passages of Scripture. The, the, the way forward is God's grace. So how do we, uh, whether it's a success or a failure, whether it's everyday life or the uh, devastation of life, how do we move forward? The first thing we need to do, learning from Moses and, and his journey, helping the children of Israel move forward beyond the golden bull, is we need to appeal to God's faithful love. Do you realize it is God's love that sent Jesus to rescue you from your sin? It is God's love that has given you life. Now, God could have stood in icy isolation from you. He could have allowed you to bumble about in your emptiness and lostness, dead in your trespasses and sin. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great, what is it? Love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and trespasses, he's made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Here's the good news. 
good news is that God did not remain in icy isolation from you or me. But he saw us in our sin and he provided the pathway for us to be forgiven and to find life. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we embrace Christ as our Savior and King, we were engrafted into this glorious, magnificent, faithful, abiding, abounding love of God. So that's who we are. What Moses does in Exodus 33 is he reminds God again that God loves this people even though they've sinned against him. Look at, look at chapter 32, look at verses 12 through 14. Now, what, what, what Moses is doing, he's saying, Now, God, I know you're angry with the children of Israel. I'm angry with them, too. They are a stiff-necked people. By the way, it's not just Israel that's stiff-necked. We are as well. You and me. We're stiff-necked. We're stubborn in our sin. Some of you have been holding on to the same sin for days, some for decades. That's, that's being stiff-necked. And... and the, you don't have to stay there anymore. It's killing you. You don't have to stay there anymore. It's time to move forward. But to move forward, we need to appeal to God's faithful love. So, so that's what Moses does. Moses, verse 12, at the end of verse 12, Moses says to God, Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, now Moses talked to God not based upon who he was, not based upon who Moses was. He, he talked to God not based upon what the people would do. I, Moses didn't hold out much hope that the people would be any better than they were right now. But Moses talked to God based upon who God is. Guys, listen, we need to talk to God, not based upon our promises of being better. Not, not based upon uh, the, uh, I've got a new strategy for doing good. We need to talk to God. If we want the way forward, if we want to immerse ourselves in His grace, then we need to talk to God based upon His faithful love not based upon who we are but based upon who he is see God is the God who is committed to those with whom he has a relationship he is absolutely faithful do you realize that one of the characteristics of God in his love is that he is absolutely faithful you can count on God no matter what you do, he's going to be faithful. Do you realize this? God is not, I'm with you today, but I'm against you tomorrow. God is faithful forever. We can count on him. So when we look for a way forward, whether it's out of the stronghold of sin that holds on to us, or, or whether it's out of confusion or doubt in the face of each day, or whether it's because of our emotional difficulties or anxieties or, or, or uncertainties, regardless of what we're looking at today, you want the way forward, then you need to make your appeal to the faithful love of God. God is for you. And you know what we do? We like to blame all kinds of different people or things or places or events or circumstances about why we're stuck. That's easy. 
Blaming somebody for being stuck is easy. But God says, look to me. I am all-powerful. I am almighty. I am always faithful, and I love you. The way out, the way forward, is to appeal to God's faithful love. Moses said, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember your covenant to them. And God said, I remember. Let's move forward. The second thing we see in this passage, we appeal to God's faithful love. Secondly, we need to seek to know God more. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but can I just ask you, your goal as a follower of Jesus is not to get a bunch of information about God. That's not the goal. The goal is to be captured by your relationship with God, by your understanding of who he is. The goal is not to understand some intricate theology lessons or, or to read more. And, and I'm all about study and, and, and I'm all about under, understanding uh, theologies and memorizing scripture. I'm all about all that stuff. But the goal, the end game, is not to have the information. The end game is to know God more. Now look at, at, at thir, uh, Exodus 33. Uh, Moses said, verse 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. You have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor or grace in my sight. Now, therefore, here it is. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find favor in your sight. Now, get the picture here. Moses said, all right, now I've, I've been a recipient of your grace. You have graced me. I am now in relationship with you. I have found favor in your sight. But God, that's not enough. I want grace upon grace. I want, to, I want to know you more. Show me your way that I might know you more so that I might, what? Find favor in your sight. God, I want to stay in the flow of your grace. I don't want to get out of that flow. So, God, the way I'm going to move forward, whether it's in victory or defeat, whether it's in good times or bad, whether it's facing the stronghold or the stranglehold of sin, the way I'm going to move forward is, God, will you show me who you are so that I might know you more, so that I might find grace in your sight? You, you want to live in victory, you got to live in the flow of God's grace. You want to live in the flow of God's grace. You need to immerse yourself in who God is. You need to know him more fully. Edie and I have been married uh, 27 years. And the journey has just begun unlocking the joy and the privilege of knowing her. Not knowing about her. I can tell you um, some stuff about Edie, but she could tell a lot more stuff about me. But that's not, the goal is not to know the stuff. The goal is to know her, to know her heart. She sent me a list of questions yesterday. You know, Florence has done this crazy thing, given us all this time to do stuff, but she sent me a list of questions yesterday. What's a favorite moment in our marriage? What do you consider romance? Some other questions, I can't think of what they are. But anyway, <laughs> she sent those questions. 
Because those are questions that help us connect to know each other. Not know about each other, to know each other. Now, this is, this is what we need from God. This is what we need for God to do for us. And that's an act of his grace. God, will you show us your way so that we might know you more and so that we might live in the flow of your grace? You want a way forward, this is it. We seek to know God more. And as we seek to know, to God, know God more, then we rest in his presence. To rest in the presence of God, this is our great delight. The full measure of pleasure is found resting in the presence of God. Not, it's not found in our accomplishments. It's not found in the next plaque we can put on our wall. It's not found in the different accolades that individuals can give us. It's not found in, in, in a, a, a fat bank account. It's not found in the finest cars or houses or homes or whatever. I, I, here it, it is somewhat found when you go fly fishing. But it's not really. The, the full measure of pleasure is found only as we rest in the presence of God. Are you resting in his presence? Now, look down in verse 14. Verse 14, God responds to Moses. Moses says now, now in verse 30, he says, Now show me your way that I might find favor in your sight. That I might know you and find favor in your sight. And so then God responds in verse 14 of chapter 33. He says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up out of here because without you, we can't do anything. Uh, so here's, here's the thing. If we're going to experience the full measure of pleasure, it's going to be in the presence of the Lord. We can't get anywhere good without God's grace. It is only God's grace that allow us to be in his presence. But when we're in his presence, we need to rest there. See, resting is not the absence of conflict, it's not the absence of struggle, and it's not the absence of trouble. That's not resting. Resting is finding courage and strength and confidence and hope and peace in the midst of struggle and trouble and conflict. Rest is not an emotional situation that happens within us. Rest is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ himself. We need to cling to Jesus. We need to rest in him. It's, it's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 11. You remember what he said? He said, come to me, all you who are laboring and who are weighed down, heavy laden, and I will give you, what's the word? Rest. He says, I'm going to give you rest. Rest is not a new equation for life that we've applied to our today. Rest is is submitting ourselves in the very presence of God and finding our life in him. As we look for our way forward, I invite you to appeal to God's faithful love, to seek to know him more, to rest in his presence. And as we do those things, then we will move in the flow of God's grace and we will find our way forward. Sin is a stronghold and a stranglehold in our life. And everybody here, if we're honest, and we don't play games in here, do we? I mean, we might, but it's silly. Sin is a problem that each of us have. And we need a way forward out of our sin. 
Sin is a dead end. It's a stronghold and it will strangle hope out of us. But God in his grace reaches out to his people. And based upon his faithful love, he offers us a way forward. Today I invite you to immerse yourselves in the glorious grace of God. And do it here and now. Would you join me as we pray? As you bow your head and heart before the Lord, I, I just want to call your attention to the response that Moses had after God revealed again who he was. Remember in Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord said uh, that he is a merciful, gracious, long-suffering God who is abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy or steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In verse 8, Moses responded. The scripture says that Moses responded in this way. He made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped the Lord. You see, ultimately, if we're going to move in the flow of God's grace as his people, then we'll do that as we submit to God in worship, as we bend our hearts before him. And that's what this moment is about. It's a moment in this corporate gathering where you can urgently bow your life before the living God. Some of you are here and not yet followers of Jesus, and I invite you to come to Christ and find the life that only he can provide. Forgiveness for sin and a hope for tomorrow. That's what Jesus offers you. And today, God in his grace perhaps has opened your heart to understand that you need this forgiving love that only Jesus can offer you. And you're ready to choose Christ today. If that's who you are, I'm going to be here at the front. Uh, Gary Sanders will be here at the front. Um, and we're, we would love to talk with you more about how you can become a follower of Jesus. Choose Christ today. Um, most of us, perhaps in this room, are followers of Christ, but you have been confronted again by um, where you are on this journey, whether it's you're trying to make it on your own or you're, you're trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, or you're trying to, trying to meme your way into a better way of life. Today, God has confronted you that it's all about his grace. Not what you do, not what you don't do, but it's all about his grace. And today, I invite you to bend your heart before the living God and move in the flow of his grace. And God, you've saved me. You've rescued me by your love through Christ. God, you've, you've, you've shown me who you are today, and, and you've unveiled for me more of your heart. So help for me to rest in your presence right now. Help for us to rest in your presence and to worship you so that we might find your grace resurrecting dead hope with life. So that we might see the stronghold of sin being shattered by the waves of your mercy. So that we might be encouraged and enraptured and even corrected and disciplined 
by your amazing love so that we might rest in your presence even as you speak to our hearts. Now, lead us to respond to you as we worship you, whether it's sitting where we are, whether it's standing and singing, whether it's coming to the altar in prayer, talking to one of the pastors, one of the ministers, whatever you lead us to do in this moment, may we do it and move in the flow of your grace as you take us forward. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.